podcast, Kendra. Yay. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I always like to start uh, business in the front on the podcast. So tell us about what you offer in the world and who you are. All right. Um, I'm Kendra Toms, known as Street Rat Draws on Instagram online. Um, I am making cannabis related art for stoners, especially magical stoners. Um, I started out doing kind of pop art, graphic design, really cutesy, shiny, fun, bright color stuff. It's very much my style. Uh, But lately I've been going into my love of traditional arts and I've been started oil painting. Um, So as you can see, I've got all these oil paintings around me and this is the culmination of my one year's journey of oil painting. Um, And I'm so excited to be hanging these up in a local dispensary this week and we'll be having a big exciting show on New Year's Eve to celebrate them. So that's what I've been making lately. Uh, I've got a Patreon that I've been curating where I make all my cool stickers every month. And that keeps me motivated to be making new art, whether I'm feeling good or bad or whatever. Um, And I've also been creating cannabis communities online, on Discord, on Patreon, on all of it. Um, Just trying to find ways to support our cannabis community and give back to the community that has inspired me and helped me grow so much. Oh, I love it so much. Um, street rat draws so people can remember it. It's because it's Kendra T and there's a rat at the end of that. Exactly. Every day, like all my emails through school and everything were always Kendra T, Kendra, Kendra. So I was like, there has to be a rat in the name. Um, and then at the time that I created it, I was kind of going through a journey of trying to figure out what are my passions, what I'm connected to, what are my interests. Um, And art I knew was one of them, but I was not expressing that at the moment. I had kind of gone through that burnout of going through art school and um, I had studied animation in school actually. So essentially a useless degree to me now. So I was kind of figuring out, okay, if I'm not an animator, what kind of artist am I? Um, And I kind of had this idea of being a little bit of an underdog in that way of like on my journey up. And I really resonated with the song from Aladdin, where he's singing about being, um, you know, riffraff, street rat, and hoping that people can see through that and see that there's something more to him. Um, and I think I was very much trying to prove that to myself, that I was like a, a bit of a startup artist, but there is something more that I was trying to get to. Um, and I feel like this kind of is is that. <laughs> it's so true. I love the street rat, like, um, aesthetic and then like going into fine art and oil painting I can't believe you've only been oil painting for a year it is your work is gorgeous um definitely Kendra is someone to follow on IG especially if you like to late at night see things that calm your mind um you're one of my favorite visits at night before I wind down because you're posting these like time-lapse videos of painting fine art and like, and also the process too, I find fascinating um, as someone who has no desire to ever paint, um, but enjoys watching it. Um, I've gone through that journey of, um, you know, when I was a younger artist, I was like, I could never be a painter. Like, it's just so much to know and to do. Um, And it was, I was very good at line art and drawing and not color and painting and all this stuff. So I always watched those kinds of videos just mystified and intrigued. Um, And then I kind of went through that process of starting, um, I started painting pet portraits. So I was working in acrylics. So it was like more beginner approachable. And since I was doing pet portraits, I was just working from a photo. So I didn't have to like 
be creative and make things up. I could just work from real life. Um, so that was kind of my ease in and, but yeah, starting into oil paintings, I knew um, I wanted to start expressing, I don't know, something more original. And this is actually my first time doing uh, original art, like at this scale, not as a small drawing or uh, you know, a sticker or something. So that's been really a crazy process to go through. But the whole time I've been watching other people's time-lapse videos or learning from them on YouTube videos. And that's how I've gotten here. So to be able to turn around and do that myself is just like full circle fun and amazing. It's incredible. And like the size of your work too, like these, there's like three main paintings in this, in the specific collection that you're putting up. Um, and, and then a couple of smaller ones that kind of go in and it's all thematic. It's very much like I, aesthetically to me it reminds me of like a line like that the fashion designers do at like fashion week or whatever um and i you had mentioned in your process that as you've been learning oil painting you're actually learning more about what you might do differently so would you talk about like the process of just being an artist diving into a new modality and then learning over the process of a year creating a body of work Right. Um, I think for me, this whole process started um, with the technical part of it. Like literally, how do I use oil paint and make a painting? And what are the steps to like starting? Do I need a background color? Do I start with the background of the picture? You know, how literally, how do you do it? Um, so it took me quite a few months of just making bad art and doing really crappy little throwaway paintings just to like figure that process out. Um, and that's one thing about learning art online or I guess anywhere is everyone has a different process and so many of them are great and will work very well. Um, and it really comes down to you trying them out for a good amount of time and really seeing what you like and what works with you. Um, and I think that took me quite a few months of just that process. Um, and once I started to get into a habit and kind of get comfortable and be able to do enough that when I'm you know showing these videos I can literally say hey this is what I'm doing and why then I started to feel more comfortable with doing the I guess more artistic side of it making um I had to start with like figuring out what do I even want to paint about and like you said with the series that all looks the same um I had to sit down and have that thought process of like what's this story I'm going to try to tell? What's the colors that I'm going to use? What's the dark and light theme? Do I go with that? Am I going with colorful? You know, I had to literally sit down and just make that choice. Um, and I think I always thought that these great artists who do all this are just inspired and it just comes to them and this stuff just flows out. Um, and maybe that happens, but I'm discovering for me, at least at this point, I have to just sit down and decide what it's going to be, what it's going to look like, um, I put together like a Pinterest board of, you know, art and themes and stuff that I wanted to go with. And eventually I just like came up with a story, came up with a, um, you know, person, place and things of this story and what those might look like and what colors you might see. I kind of went with a dark and light theme, but also, you know, bringing lots of purples and pinks and all these colors that are like part of my aesthetic got brought into this. So that helped. I didn't have to like start totally from scratch. Um, but yeah, I think now that I'm kind of gotten the artistic, you know, process started, I've tried things and I'm finding what works and what doesn't. So now that I've gone through that with this set of pictures, I feel like I'm ready to go into the next set with all of that, with the technical side, um, with the artistic aspects, the composition, all those things that I've tried and didn't work or did work in this series, I'm ready to like 
level up in the next one. And I think from here on out, that's probably the process. We'll just be trying things, leveling up, trying things, leveling up. So it's exciting to be beyond the like technical side of like learning how to walk before you can run. Um, that's, that's a painful part. And I think that's the part that like deters a lot of people from moving into a new, you know, modality or anything, new hobby, anything. Um, so sticking through that, I mean, it took, you know, a good year or a half a year at least to get through that. So it was a process and that was painting, not every day, but pretty consistently. So it was hard, but I'm so glad I did. Oh man. I feel like, um, there's something to our society, our culture that stigmatizes failure. Um, and I think in many ways it's like, it's such a disservice. Um, I've heard frequently that mistakes are the tuition you pay in entrepreneurship, right? And that success looks like failure 80% of the time. And you have to be willing to fail again and again until you get it right. And um, that has been one of the hardest lessons for me to learn. And as someone who just like really hid behind perfectionism and achievement in an, in early life um, and, and thought that if I could just be perfect, everything would be okay. And like, the truth is life is always a little bit of a mess and like everything can be okay anyway. And the only way to get good at something is to be willing to fail and fail and fail until you get good. And I really admire your work ethic and the way that you continue to push yourself forward. Even as like you've talked about in these paintings, I really hated this. I was like so over it, but you kept going and like you brought all of these paintings to completion. Um, is there something inherent in your personality that you think is like willing to keep going or is it mostly like your outcome focused? So you're like, I just want this to be done. Oh. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think actually that like being outcome focused and just wanting it to be done was definitely something that I've struggled with um, for a long time. When it, come, when it came to doing these paintings, it was so challenging and it was so hard and I was so determined to have a good outcome and I was so discouraged when I didn't um, that it I did start to like lose motivation and not want to finish some of these paintings. And like, I've got a couple up here that were just going so bad and being so bad and like I've been through art school for eight years I'm very comfortable with like failing every day and doing thousands of bad drawings and it's very drilled into you that like, that's exactly the norm and um you have to do all that in order to get to good drawings and yada yada but still you know it can be discouraging when you are trying to do a new thing and you're so motivated to do it but you have such bad results it does kill you but um I think definitely going through art school helped me like learn to fight against that and keep pushing through it. Um, honestly, like watching other people and seeing there's something about watching someone who's not an expert and seeing how they meet challenges through the process and how they deal with those challenges and watching the sheer fact that continuing to work on something will inevitably improve it is just so motivating. I think you can always remind yourself that like, yes, this is bad now, but it's really not the end until you get where you're going. Um, so yeah, I think it's more of like that, having that strong reminder in your mind, <laughs> it helped me physically get through it. And like this one, um, getting all those flowers done, I've never painted this many flowers. Like I've painted a couple here, I painted a bunch of tiny ones here, but I've never painted this many flowers this large. And I just got sick of it and was tired of doing the physical act of painting these stupid flowers. Um, and they started to look bad because I was sick of it and I was tired, blah, blah, blah. But the more I like gave myself a break and came back to it and can continue to work on it, you know, 
with breaks and um, taking care of yourself and taking care of your mind, it really helped to continue pushing through that process until the end. And I will say, I don't know if I even reached the end that I was desiring with a lot of these paintings. I've gotten to a point where I'm okay with letting them go. Um, there's a lot of things that I didn't get to and a lot of mistakes that I would fix or things that I would totally change or things I got left out because there's just not time. Um, but I think I've gotten to that point where I'm, I've learned the things that I want to learn and I've got them to a point where they're good enough. That's a new word, good enough. Um, <laughs> and uh, I feel like I've like gotten the nutrition out of them and I'm ready to let them go and feed other people and I'll start on a new set that will help me grow, you know? I've gotten the nutrition out of it. I love that. I think I might uh, have changed my life a little bit in this moment. I've gotten the nutrition out of this because it's it's so like something I've had to do. And actually, this is very transformative for me. I took a coaching cohort um, at the end of 2018, changed my entire life, like really leveled me up in so many ways. And um, no, it was the end of 2017 into early 2018, really just like released a lot of my perfectionism and tr made me try. It was like a media coaching thing where like, they kind of just like dug into you until you cleared a path for you to trust one take, you know what I mean? Like you just step up, you do it one take. And that's kind of what teaching aerobics has forced me to do too, is like, I can never do, I'll never do a, a number perfectly. I'll never teach a class perfectly. It's part of my rules. It's, there's no wrong way to do it. And I love to point out if I make a mistake in my choreography in class, I love to point it out because I want people to feel totally fine making mistakes because that's something as a leader, if you, if you model making mistakes and being fine with it, that, it, that creates a culture that is psychologically safe. Right. And so figuring out that I'm done with something is simply me like allowing it to be done. And like, um, I love that the nutrition out of it. Cause like the, I mean, the art I do is like an hour long aerobics class. Right. And so like the nutrition is the class it's done. We moved it's everyone's got a smile on their face. That's my work product. My work product is joy. So it's interesting, like as an artist to like, I mean, even with this podcast, I sincerely agonize sometimes about like, oh, I should go back and fix this thing. Or like, you know, let me re just re-record this whole thing. And I don't most of the time because I'm like, no, this is an act of vulnerability of trusting the process and trusting that I'm recording a present moment and not fiddling with it too much, you know? So yeah. that's, uh, I've gotten the nutrition out of it. Cause like something like fine art, you can fiddle with that. I mean, didn't Van Gogh like agonize over all of his stuff and like. Yeah. And that's definitely one way you could do it, but it's like, for what outcome? I mean, if, if your goal, like the whole purpose of you doing art was because you want to capture like hyper-realism or whatever the effect is. And that requires lots of work. That might be something that is worthwhile to you. Um, but I feel like especially as someone who's in the very like learning stages of my artistic journey, the most benefit I get right now is by iterating a lot, by doing a lot of things start to finish and learning the lesson and moving on and learning the next lesson. Um, and I feel like I'll grow and get where I'm going faster just by doing more right now. And that seems to be what, you know, a lot of successful people uh, preach at this stage, so. Yeah, really, really. And honestly, like a lot of successful people there it's like you can be successful in certain areas and not in others and i really truly believe that lack of success in the home will never make up for well success in the in the world and your career will never make up for lack of success in the home um and i think 
I was just listening to this podcast about Prince. It's called Who Was Prince? And I find it, I, I felt complicated about it. I love to learn about Prince, and I, but I prefer learning about Prince from directly from his body of work and experiencing him as an artist. And he was always focused on his body of work. Like you hear him say that a lot in interviews. Um, and I love it actually, as I like, cause I have so many artist friends, I love to watch them develop and I love to watch the process. And I love to see a body of work come to life over time. Um, and it was interesting, like listening to this podcast, there was a lot of stuff that he never worked on, on his character about the way he connected to people. And I think he really was not happy. And how sad is that? You know what I mean? To like have created, have created so prolifically things that really mattered in the world and really helped people. I mean, so many people were affected by his work, but like to also lack that human connection and the, the work of whole human life. Right. And like really understand. I think this is something that more success and entrepreneur people are talking about um, freely is like not sacrificing your health, not sacrificing, yeah. right? Like your, um, I mean, I changed my whole career around my health ultimately um, because I wasn't willing to live like that anymore. <laughs> and yeah. I'm glad That's I did. Motivators too, um, in going from like digital artwork and stuff where like I definitely got caught up in that like Instagram uh, content creation grind of like constantly trying to put new stuff out and going into like more quick digital art because it's something I knew I could turn around quickly. And I know that's something that a lot of artists are pressured to do, but my health started to be affected and I started having to take like a month off of doing anything. And it's really hard to keep, um, you know, commissions flowing and keep uh, content creating when you have to take a month off because you know, I was having so much headaches and pain that I couldn't sit at the computer. Um, so I started to really figure like, I have to value my own amount of work time and the work that I do so much higher and because I have so much less of it and I have to be so much more precious with it. Um, so I realized I had to start putting out work that was of more value in the world. Um, so I could get, you know, the most bang for my work buck, really. Um, I have so few hours that I can like sit and like, I don't want to say hold stress and tension because I don't think I'm consciously doing that. But, you know, when you're working on something, especially physically with your body and you're concentrating really hard, inevitably I hold tension in my shoulders and my back and my body. And that directly affects the headaches and the pain that I get. So on the one hand, you know, I'm doing physical work that is maybe more physically demanding on my body. But on the other hand, I'm also standing up more. I'm moving around more versus when I was on the computer. I was just very sedentary. Um, I didn't take as many breaks. I think with painting, I have to do a lot more physical movement, take a lot more breaks for drying or between layers and stuff. So in the actual physical aspect, it's been a more healthful move for me. Um, but I hope as, you know, my painting starts to get out and I start getting more commissions or hopefully selling more prints that monetarily, it will help support me a lot more than my graphic design work or, uh, you know, product creation has been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think like our bodies are a non-renewable resource. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. so, it's so, it's so like it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's so capitalist to be like, work yourself to death and then take uh, opioids, but don't get addicted <laughs> so that you can keep working yourself to death. Like it's so it's, it's bonkers. And, um, I love that you're mindful of that. And also like I have had um, a few folks on this podcast. I want to shout out specifically Chrissy Tolley and Alex the Medium who talk about their, um, they learn, I mean, this is totally a different, like even industry, 
uh, right? Psychics, like direct service work, but like they have a cap on how many clients they see. And they've actually had to continue to work to shrink how many clients they see so that they can have the capacity to do the work at the level and the vibration that they're meant to, because God doesn't intend us to be on the earth to slog. God wants us mostly to play and rest and then get out of our comfort zone a little bit. And like, it's, it's bananas how we have to kind of learn that on our own, but it's really also very wise of you to recognize. I don't want to have to take a month off because I injure myself or I, I create the conditions that where like your body, I think your body knows, you know what I mean? And I think chronic illness is sometimes just like a a guidance system, you know, like I can tell I'm out of alignment because my chronic digestive disorder is acting up and you know why it is usually stress or lifestyle, right? Like it's something I did or stress I'm in and I know better. And I, and sister mother cannabis is, uh, truly my, my ally, honestly, and like staying high vibe and staying out of stress and, and the, and also the medicine for the tummy when it is upset. hundred percent. I have all that. And yeah, that's the thing. Like when you're forced to take all of this time off, like there would be days during these, you know, days off where, I want to do art. I miss it. I want to do stuff. Like I do it because I love it and because I can't help it. And when you're stuck in bed and you can't do the things you want or love or like do the dishes, have food that you like, you know, it's, it really makes you question what you're doing and whether it's right. Um, so that's been a big wake up call this year, helping me reframe how I think about my time spent working. And like, just in the day, if I feel like, oh, I don't know, it's time to stop working, but I have more energy, I could keep working. That used to be my habit. Um, Cause it's like, why not use the productivity while I have it? Um, but I feel like that's just another way of giving yourself a way to work. Whereas like, I could use that energy for me. I could go out on a date with my husband. I could do something nice for myself with that energy. Why do I feel like I have to use my energy for work? And then when I'm tired, it's my time off. So trying to change that thinking has been hard and takes a long time, but I think ultimately it's something that will be beneficial to all of society, really. Yeah. And honestly, it's just going to keep enhancing your body of work because you'll be able to give a better amount of yourself to the work when you have the good boundaries around like, I'm also not giving leftovers to the people that really matter to me. And like, I'm not giving leftovers to me and I matter to me, right? Like, um, I think it's, it's, it's like the illusion of control that we can outwork um, the pace that we're actually meant to be at. And, and I think there's like a balance in that too, because I think frequently we're not taught about human potential. Um, we all have the potential to be a Michael Jordan at something, you know, like it's yeah. not necessarily basketball, especially if you're not tall, but like um, it, there's definitely a possibility. It occurred to me recently, I was like, oh, I could be the Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan of aerobics. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean that there won't be a LeBron James of aerobics that's also out there or I don't know, yeah. other basketball people, but like, uh, you know, and there are lots of great basketball people. I don't really know that much uh, about professional. But like, and that's such an elite sport to get into. And like, even at the highest level, there are so many greats. So mm-hmm. yeah, of course, there would be a million greats at all these other things. Of course. Exactly. Exactly. And we all get to be great at who, at, I mean, honestly, I think the first and most important thing that we're great at is being ourselves and just being uniquely you in the world like honestly like there's so much out it's so many people I know who are just truly great in their lives simply by being and by being a friend and they didn't need to do anything more than that you know and like yeah. I think you get really caught up in what are you doing uh versus like how are you living um yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's something like our society has led us to believe that, like you said, we can have control over things by our productivity and stuff. Um, And I think more often the truth is that we only control our more, our personal lives and the things we do outside of work. Those are the things we actually do have real direct control over. And so often we don't think of it that way. Yes, absolutely. Um, Kendra, I want to talk about your um, diagnosis of neurodivergence. I'm not, I don't even remember specifically what it is, but like you had talked about that happening later in life and how you wish you had had that information about yourself earlier in life. And I'm just curious, will you tell that part of your story? Yeah, um, I recently uh, was self-diagnosed autistic. Um, It's something that I've been talking with my therapist about, but haven't gone to get an official diagnosis. Um, And in this process, I've been learning all sorts of things about autism and neurodivergence in general. And my husband has ADD, so we were already kind of in that mindset. Um, But in learning about autism, I learned that uh, in, you know, the past couple of decades, Uh, diagnosis criteria has been concentrated on uh, male symptoms of autism and the female symptoms of autism have only recently been really talked about and discovered. So there's whole generations of women our age, my age, um, and older, younger, that are just now finding out later in life that they are autistic. Um, And not only that, there's this kind of idea in autism of uh, saying, you know, whether you're high functioning or low functioning or verbal or nonverbal, all these different categories. Um, But I've been learning that ultimately it's just a very wide circular spectrum of issues that can or may be affected by autism, ADD or neurodivergence in general. Um, And they're all kind of this mixing soup where some of it's here, some of it's here, but a lot of it's kind of mixed and mingled. Um, so it's kind of a fun and fascinating world, but yeah, it's helped me understand a lot of my childhood and the ways that I was different or special or sensitive. Um, and all these words that were kind of used to judge me in a negative way compared to other kids who are easygoing and carefree or whatever. Um, and it definitely made me feel, um, you know, negative and like I stood out in a bad way for a long time and being able to reframe that as like literally parts of my body are more physically sensitive parts of my brain are more sensitive to things and it's literally something I can't control um so that that's definitely helped me change how I feel about myself and not only that but change how I uh react to my own reactions if that makes sense so if there's a moment where I have Uh, an anxiety attack in public, I used to be like, why, what's wrong with me? Why I can't handle going to public. And I'm like, okay, autistic moment. Cool. We'll just do this and that and the other, and those are going to help. And then we'll be fine. Um, So that's been amazing. But yeah, looking back at childhood, like all the classic signs are there, Um, you know, being sensitive to foods and and sounds and uh, clothes and, uh, you know, not being touched and it's just it's so obvious looking back it's almost humorous I was actually seen um by a team of doctors studying a friend of mine who was autistic he was a boy of course and these doctors didn't even realize that I was autistic as well so it's like there's there's nothing that could have been done to (laughs) have helped it but here we are You know, I think taking the judgment out of it is like one of the most empowering things. Um, I recognized last year was my first ever winter not feeling seasonal depression. 
When oh. I moved from New York to LA, I thought, oh, it's over now. It's over on these fools. I'll not be seasonally depressed again. And I was seasonally depressed. And I was like, why does this keep happening? You know what I mean? And like, eventually I realized last year why I wasn't feeling depressed is like, I was recognizing the cyclical experience of my body. My body as a, a little natural wild thing wants to rest more in the winter. How human, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. I released my judgment on myself for needing more rest, for being less productive. And it's so fascinating. Cause like, it's not like it, like removed. I mean, it's not like I'm angst free or anything like that, but if you're not in judgment of yourself for just being and experiencing, like how helpful is it when I'm having a tummy attack to judge myself? Oh, yeah. you shouldn't have eaten that dairy thing. I'm not going to judge myself. I'm just going to accept this is what's happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and, and help have, yourself, you know, yes. I feel like so often we're like, well, I don't deserve help or I don't deserve comfort or kindness because I am bad or did this to my, that's like, that's silly. Help yourself be the adult to your child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have yeah. all these tools, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, once you have more of an awareness of yourself, you're like, okay, I have all these tools that can help me. Like, especially, and also I'll say this being, uh, allowing myself to continue to adapt to, um, new levels of my psychic development. Um, I noticed as I developed my psychic stuff, I couldn't be in crowds in the same way. I used to be a nightlife producer. I used to make crowds for a living. And like the fact that like now I, the last thing I want to be is in a crowd. I mean, also pandemic, but like if the pandemic wasn't a thing, even still being in a crowd is not my fave. I like to be, there's all these pictures of me from these giant parties in New York. I didn't even realize what I was doing, but I would, I would, in my head, I called it making my own VIP section, but really it was just making the space safer for me rather than like gathering everyone's energy and like feeling freaked out in a crowd. I would just sit still somewhere and like hold court and people come by and visit me or they don't, you know, yeah. but like I just like really, and I started to recognize the value in like going to a place very early. Cause like, here's what, as a nightlife producer, I was paying good money for those DJs and that space, uh, for that hour and a half that nobody shows up. Cause they're all too cool to show up on time. I am cool enough that I show up early. So I enjoy like a private party and then, <laughs> and then find my place to sit down and then the party can happen and I'm still sitting and having a good time. So Love it. yeah, it's just learning how to adapt the world around you to what you need in a non-judgmental way and not being a big diva about it either. Like, cause I'm, I'm the grown up. I can take care of myself, but I can also ask for the help I need when I need the help. Yeah. I feel like that's been a big thing to be learning. Like not only just asking for help, but just like actively doing things that make life easier. Like why, <laughs> why do I have to have to, I don't know, do things that are normal and harder? Like trying to change that mindset and constantly be thinking like, is there a way I can actually do this in a simpler way in an easier way? Uh, yeah, that's been nice. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so Kendra, uh, what is, so you're a Virgo sun, what's your moon and rising? A uh, Leo moon Virgo rising. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, for the, and I do know your South node, North node, cause it's the opposite of mine. You are Pisces, right. North node, Virgo, South node. Yep. So a lot of Virgo mastery going into this life a lot huh? <laughs> and then my dad uh, that I was raised by is a Virgo as well so just a lot of Virgo energy around me yes and also like you know it like with autism I think there's a, an element of focus and attentiveness yeah. which is probably all held up with that Virgo stuff 100% all plays into it <laughs> yeah 
because Virgo is the practical. We we've talked about this. Um, Drea, our astrologer at the GGG, talks about this a lot. Like Virgo is the practical uh, side that brings to life the Pisces dream, right? So Pisces is the dreamer. Virgo is the practical creator. And like, I have to say, I think my Virgo rising is and my Virgo North node are like vexing to me a little bit because like I need the routine and the practicality of Virgo, but because it's a rising sign, it doesn't necessarily come easy for me. Yeah. Um, I'm more of like, you know, Pisces South node. I'm a visionary. I'm a dreamer. I'm psychic. I like to dream, but like the doing isn't so fun for me. Yeah. See, I'm so the opposite. Like I'll take anybody's dream and I'm like, you love this. I love this. This is what we need to make it happen here. I'll make it for you. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So something I have loved about your art, um, truly in your body of work, um, is the evolution. Um, you made, um, cones that I smoked from before I even knew you. Yes. Should I grab them real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, Kendra designed, they're like on Amazon. They're like labeled, I think unicorn or something like that. I was unicorn like, unicorn yeah. dreams cones, unicorn dreams cones. Oh, there they're so go. pretty. Look at that. I still have a couple that are like saved for a special occasion. I've got my whole bunch. I've done quite a few designs for them. Um, the company like they, oh my goodness, like They bought a bunch of my designs. They bought the license for the art. So they have a couple years in which they can produce all of these. um, And then they need to repurchase the license. So (laughs) that's smart. Um, But yeah, um, essentially when I first started my street rat account, I knew that I wanted to make some cannabis art because I wanted to make cute stuff for people like me. Um, But I didn't know like what to do. So I was like, you know, it'd be really cool if we could have cute papers that I could roll up and I knew they had the flavored ones that have like different fruits and stuff on them but I wanted other stuff um so after a particularly difficult day um I had given a price quote to a woman for a logo and she thought my price was outrageous and she was like that's insane all power to you if you get that that's crazy so I was feeling pretty down so I was like you know I'm gonna make something pretty Uh, to make myself feel better. So I designed the rainbow dreams or the unicorn dreams cone. um, And I just posted on Instagram and I was like, you know what, I wish this existed. And uh, the company that printed these contacted me off of that and was like, hey, we'd like to make this design happen. And we got into talks and we made deals and they bought a bunch of these designs and started putting them out in the world. And yeah, I just started seeing them pop up in people's photos. And like, it's not like I could be like, hey, that's mine, I did that. But just knowing that it was like out there existing in the world, like making people happy and cheering them up or making them take cute photos, like that's been so amazing just to see that ripple effect on the cannabis community. Magical stoners having a magical cannabis experience because of your art. It's so special and so precious. Um, I love that so much. And I also love too, like that it's like, there's like this kind of whimsical period of like, that and then now you're doing like more sort of fantasy art and like and and even like that you said the painting of the horse in this series was like you taking like your childhood horse dreams and bringing them 
into exactly I that's the thing that really um kept me in art all these years is I was a big horse girl another uh clear sign of autism (laughs) um uh but uh I drew horses constantly and exclusively I didn't do I mean I think I maybe drew flowers and horses and that's it um so even going into college I had to like learn how to draw people and learn how to do everything else because all I did was draw horses. Um, But, you know, it's my greatest love. And like over the years in art school and stuff, I stopped drawing horses. You know, they make you uh, draw all these technical things and like it became work and art became work. And I kind of lost that connection to what originally gave me passion. Um, So kind of doing this is finally going back to that and reclaiming that and um, I don't know, I guess bringing all these skills that I had developed all these years finally into fruition. I love that. Um, can I brag on myself briefly? Please. When I was at Girl Scout camp when I was 10 years old, um, it was a horse camp. And yeah. um, so we got to like ride horses a couple hours a day. And my group was the group that um, like we are, I don't know, whatever, the little pod of 30 kids that run around together all week right like so our pod was the one that was responsible for mucking the horse stalls um and so we all rotated and my pod was the ones that were the best at the mucking the stalls so like it was like winning an award um for horse stall mucking which I thought you know my mom made fun of me because I came home with that accolade and you know what we got to lead our like because it's Girl Scouts we got to lead the um flag ceremony on horseback which Ah. was really boss and because I was riding a pony because I was scared of heights and everyone made fun of me for riding a pony but because my horse was much shorter than everyone else's I got to lead it nice (laughs) which is just it's my best horse victory and so I just wanted to share that I love that I, I would love to brag as well um I actually had a job mucking horse poop uh for a while in college I had been I had been riding um up at Stanford University has their own stables. And for a while, they let the public have lessons there. Um, So I've been taking lessons there all throughout middle school and high school. And eventually when they closed that, I was like, had to find other ways to ride horses. Um, So my mom connected me with the lady who hired me to muck all of her stalls and then let me ride her little pony um, because she was trying to like get it ready to be sold, you know, teach it how to jump and stuff. So I helped her do that and got paid to muck her stalls. And it was like the best job ever. I loved it. I think it's a super relaxing, fun thing to do. And like you get to be around horses and they're fun and silly. And they like to turn over the wheelbarrow full of poop because it's funny. So like just the best day, honestly, I I miss doing that. I would love to do that as a part-time job to support an art career forever. So not a lot of people pay for that. Uh, that's true. Oh my God. So much fun. I love that. I hope that someday we get to go ride horses together. Yes. Um, it's, it's my dream to have a like horse stay summer camp, you know, where people can come and like stay in a cabin and ride horses for a week. And we'll do like adult getaways and then kids getaways. That would be amazing. Uh, I love that. Let's make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Kendra also, I want to talk a little bit about, um, your sort of path to becoming an artist. You said you had eight years of art school. Um, What did you do? Oh my goodness. Um, I went to San Jose State, which is, uh, I was from San Jose. So I got to stay at home with my parents, which was very convenient. And um, San Jose State has a very good animation illustration department, which is what I was going for. 
um, since I did draw exclusively horses, I had dreams of becoming an animator, like animating animals for Disney or, you know, cartoons and stuff. Um, so I originally wanted to go do 2D drawing, hand-drawn animation. Um, but in the like eight years that I was there, um, I don't know if you remember, Disney put out the movie Princess and the Frog and it was their last 2D hand-drawn animated video. And um, they were putting all of their judgments on whether or not to continue 2D on how well this movie did. And it didn't do very well. And um, there's a lot of reasons and factors or whatever, but after that movie happened, Disney cut off all of their 2D animation program. And at the same time, so many TV studios and other things that were doing um, cartoon animations were oversourcing their animations to Korea and um, anim hand-drawn animation was being outsourced. So our school started teaching us 3D animation as like a required part of the course. And eventually it kind of just phased out 2D into full 3D. And I hate 3D animation. It's all just clicking stuff on the mouse and moving stuff around and it's no drawing at all. And you have the same like knowledge and skills and stuff, but just the actual act of doing it is totally different. Um, and anyways, going through uh, art school, our school was so impacted. There was so many students and just not enough of the core classes that I eventually had to move to part-time classes. And I took a part-time job to help support myself too. Um, but it just kind of drew everything out for a couple of years where I was taking like two classes a year here, one there. Um, so eventually after eight years, I finally was able to complete all of that. But by then I was so burnt out on making art a business and doing all this 3D animation. I just, it killed all my passion. Um, so after that, after graduating, my husband and I kind of escaped. We went to Japan and lived abroad for a year and a half. Um, and I had a job just teaching English as an assistant over there. And it was kind of just in a way to like secure uh, a financial income and a home and uh, escape from real life for a little while and not have to face the fact that I needed to find a job and an art career when I didn't have any skills that I actually wanted to use. And I didn't want to go into the industry I'd been trained to go into. Um, and so much of my training had been on just how to make the art. Um, you know they designed the program for you to be hired by a studio and to be working under someone. So they never taught us how to be our own boss or to run an art business or to market yourself or to literally do any of this. Um, so I had to either find a job with someone or figure all this out. And eventually life circumstances led us to living with my husband's family and taking care of his grandmother. And I was kind of just plopped down by the universe and all my other options were taken away. So I was like, okay, art career it is. So that happened in 2017. And since then I've been um, doing the like self-taught journey of learning how to run a business, be a freelance artist, and then literally teach myself the techniques of making this kind of art. So it's been a, a long process. And that's, you know, on top of drawing my whole life before that. So. Isn't it amazing how like education can kill your passion for something? Um, yeah. I actually, I really admire people who drop out of college. You know what I mean? Like, it's so funny how like yeah. it was not an option for me when I went to college to ever even consider dropping out. But like, I, and also, also I think my undergrad degree actually serves me well because I did women and gender studies and it opened my whole life up. And yeah, I, cool. I've been building on that education for my, for the rest of my life. Um, but like education doesn't end. And I feel the same way about 
3D that you feel about 3D animation about law? Because I know oh. a lot about law. I have a lot of skills and I absolutely do not want to use them. But if yeah. any of my friends out there need help with the house closing, I will hop on the phone with you and tell you everything I know because I know a lot about house closing. Um, <laughs> it's what I did for like 15 years. But um, it's interesting. Like, I feel like the work I did that mattered was helping people. It wasn't the legal work and it wasn't yeah. that skill set. And it's so funny how the universe will totally plop you where you're meant to be so that you can and cut off your options. Yeah. So that you can focus and learn yeah. what you're meant to learn. But also that learning about, especially art, like doesn't end at the yeah. end of schooling. It, le learning is literally a lifelong process. It is a capitalist myth that you go through school and then you're finished learning and you just like settle into a career, get comfortable and live out the rest of your days. This yeah. is something I've complained about on, I've pointed this out, I think in every conversation I've had today, um, which is that I live in a retirement community and I see so many people who work very hard their whole lives who are now spending their gold, their so-called golden years watching TV. And that is yeah. literally the main thing that they do. And I think that is the saddest way to spend your life. And I want to just keep getting better and better and better. I, TV is fine. Watch some TV, but like, you know what I mean? Just keep learning, keep growing and keep yeah. doing, create more than you consume. I, yeah, I think um, I love, my parents are a really big inspiration for me in this area. Um, my dad started working at UPS when he was like 18 and stayed with the company for 35 years and always preached to me that, you know, you're always taking care of your future and you're always saving for your future because that's most important. But to him, he wanted his future to be sooner than later. So he did everything he could to retire by 50. That was his goal. And he almost made it. He had to go to 55. Um, you know, those corporations don't want to give up those pensions. So they, they made him go through the ringer, but he went through it and he dedicated everything to it. And now they've set up their retirement. So they go traveling, they have a motor home, um, they go to Pismo, they have like, basically they have half their lives in Pismo and half their lives in the home they recently bought and built for themselves. So like, having always that in mind, they constantly drill that that value of not like the distant, distant future, but make your future soon, save now so you can have it sooner than later and enjoy your younger years before you're too tired and old and all that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a huge value to me. And then also being able to, as an artist and someone who's creating my own business, I can design my work to support me in such a way that I can do those things now. I don't have to wait until I retire. Like I can set up my life so that I can spend half of my week going out and doing things that I enjoy and the rest I work, you know, trying to um, eliminate that 40 hour work week myth and determining what are actually my productive hours. What does that look like? It might be 10 hours a month. I don't know. Yes, a hundred percent. It is totally, literally a made up idea that the 40 hour work week, um, Henry Rockefeller made it up um kids don't learn the best sitting still and listening to bells um but kids sure are trained to be factory workers to clock in and out when the school system makes them sit still and listen to bells so yep. it's just really questioning all the systems that teach us what we think that we're supposed to do and how and it's just it's fun for me to connect with people who also have learned maybe the hard way like through a lot of school that like this wasn't for me <laughs> and like uh, i got the degree but like so what you know like i'm really yeah. gonna i'm out here making the mistakes, failing forward and be creating the life of my dreams that I don't want. I don't want to retire. I'm, I'm going to do aerobics till the end of my life. Right. Like yeah. certainly look forward to, I mean, it feel, it will feel like retirement when I can afford to have people help me do the stuff I don't want to do, you know? Yeah. And like, but I want to just be a vibrant creator who's adding value to the world. Um, as I believe you do so much. 
exactly that's one thing about like being an artist and having like especially a craft you can just work on indefinitely like that's what I'll be doing forever and it will always be valuable you know like how many artists do we know from history that we're creating up until their death and we value all of those artworks as precious yes absolutely um Kendra will you tell me um who is your favorite Disney princess because I feel like you're a very Disney identified person a hundred percent. You know, there's a lot of issues with Pocahontas. Um, we'll acknowledge that. But at the time when I was younger, she was definitely one I identified with because she wasn't uh, the prissy dress wearing uh, princess that needed help. And she was very strong and capable and intelligent and um, like being outdoors in nature. I don't know. <laughs> I identified with that a lot especially being like a horse girl and always wanted to be outside on the farm wearing pants, uh, wearing boots in the mud with horses. Like, yeah, that was very much my speed. My God, there really could be a Disney princess who's like out working with the horses, not just like showing up to the stables, taking a ride. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that so much. I feel like, is that still your primary Disney princess identity? Has that evolved as you're an adult? (sighs) Um, you know, I would say Merida is another horse girl and Mulan is another horse girl I could call it. I could call it the horse girls, especially Merida, um, always hanging out with her horse, identify with that. Like the, the main criteria for medium that I consume, especially when I was a kid, is, is there horses and are they prominently featured? <laughs> so um, that's kind of it. <laughs> Those are the things I mostly identified with. And I, I do still love Disney, but I will say over the years, um, the way the Disney Corporation has been changing and especially like their Disney parks and all the stuff they've been doing with that has a little bit put me off from the Disney flavor, but yeah, there we are. <laughs> it's so interesting, right? As they become this like powerhouse, I mean, they're one of the biggest billion dollar corporations, but in the, right? and, and I will say of all the big billion dollar corporations, they're kind of the most benevolent, um, right? Like versus yeah. so many others, but, um, yeah, especially yeah. like the Tolkien. <laughs> oh my God. I, I love a good Tolkien story. I have a lot of favorites there, but like, Ooh, man. Yeah. <laughs> It's really interesting how they're kind of gobbling everything up, right? Like, didn't they just buy Fox? I feel like I heard that. Yeah, Disney, I don't know. I feel like they're one of those things where they probably hold a lot more property than we realize. And if we start to look at it, like they control a lot of the media we consume. It's like really only five big companies that run all the media and except for um, independent creators, which is the best part about, I think the age of Aquarius is that we have control over our attention. So we can choose what podcasts we listen to. We choose what media we consume. I feel like I haven't watched or listened to the news since September, 2016, but I do get lots of, I get the news I need through Instagram, my favorite newspaper, (laughs) you know, and it's like, I curate all of my reporters. These are the people telling me what's what I need to know in a, in a day. And I think that's fine by me. I think that's kind of um, the way the future is going. I think even these big media corporations have acknowledged that with all their like Disney plus and like add on services that you just subscribe to and you pick and choose what you want now. And I think like people are already getting set up to be curating their own uh, entertainment and input and stuff. And I think that's only going to benefit smaller creators because that puts us on equal footing. Like you could be on my Patreon for $10 a month or you could have Disney plus same, same. You can have, a, you know, so I think that's really going to help these small creators uh, gain some footing against these big corporations that have had a stranglehold on people for so long. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think this is a place where people can really empower themselves to create the world they want to see. Vote for the people that you want to win with your dollars. Yeah. You know? They keep talking about supply chain issues, but I'm like, service providers don't have supply chain issues. You can buy a gift certificate to a massage therapist or a house cleaner or an artist or like, you know, an aerobics class. There are so many yeah. things you can send, you can support and use your dollars. And I think they just want to disempower people and make them afraid because yeah. afraid people are easier to control. Yeah. Definitely. And I think there was a, a clear reaction when the whole toilet paper thing happened and people reacted to like possible shortages in a very strong way. And I think it might be up to some politicians to want to keep people reacting in such a way to mm -hmm. keep people feeling the need to do that. So mm. yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Absolutely. Ugh. Um, Kendra, to wrap up our convo, I would love for you to talk about the spaces you're curating for cannabis related artists um, to thrive in the world, because I feel like you're, you're curating two distinct communities that kind of overlap. They do. The first one um, I created recently is the Cannabis Creators A Club, and this is originally through Patreon. They wanted to help creators find other creators of a similar goal or a similar hobby or, or profession. Um, and kind of help them motivate each other in clubs. So I decided cannabis needs to be in this space. So I created one for um, cannabis ancillary businesses. And um, that could be artists, but that could also be uh, astrologers or fitness coaches or, or anything. We've had journalists. Um, so I'm trying to expand that, not just to Patreon, but just as a supportive community for these cannabis small businesses on the internet in general and a place where we can grow and learn from each other or share things. And um, there's so many cannabis specific things when being a business online, especially on social media, especially marketing. Um, so I'd love to kind of create and grow that community for that, um, but also somewhat related uh, with Aries Art Northwest, Mindy, um, I'm creating the Flower League community and this is for cannabis artists. And that could be artists of any medium, whether it's uh, you know 2D or fine art or sculpting or um, glass blowers or resin artists. We want any any artist in the cannabis space or inspired by cannabis. Um, and what we're trying to do with that club is not only create a community where we can all you know talk and share and grow, but we're trying to connect artists to resources in the cannabis industry. And whether that's a place to sell your items or um, job opportunities that we find through the community or um, you know, events that we might try to do in the future if events ever become a thing again. Um, essentially, we're just trying to create opportunities for cannabis artists to make a living or follow their passions and their pursuits in the cannabis spaces. Uh, so kind of related, a little bit different. You could be part of both if you're an artist, but yeah, just trying to make communities that help support artists um, that are trying to freelance online because it's it's hard to do both and it's even harder when you're in a niche down subject like cannabis it's so hard to operate in an online spaces oh, absolutely especially as like many online spaces won't even let you do anything related to cannabis like paypal etc yeah so having a platform that like patreon that understands the nuance of like you're not selling cannabis you're just feeding the soul of people who connect to that plant in whatever yeah. way right so yeah. I think it's beautiful and brilliant and I love it and I will say as a member of the cannabis uh patreon a club uh I our conversation just today was so good it's so it's so interesting like how often I can have conversations about start with why or 
you know, telling a brand story and it's always relevant because you're always developing, like as an entrepreneur, everything yeah. is constantly unfolding and, um, it's been so great. And I'm so grateful to you for holding all that space. Thank you. I mean, and for me, like I said, I've been on this journey of like trying to figure out how to business and, um, I've had to like go to a million sources and learn from a million people. And, um, if I've been, you know, accumulating this work and knowledge, I would love to help share it, but I would also love to bring in people who've done this to a higher degree or more often or better or whatever, and give me your insights too. So it's really helping all of us. It's a win-win. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. And the how to business is such an, uh, the most annoying part of entrepreneurship for me is like, I have to be great at the thing that I'm great at, right? The yeah. But then like, I also saw to be at least a B plus on like the marketing and all the other things in order to like keep it going. So yeah. Yeah. Especially when trying to keep up with social media stuff, you have to be like an expert at all of those like little know-hows and quirks and workarounds and like, it's exhausting. So if someone has some tips they can share, please, you know, <laughs> <laughs> always, always, always. Um, Kendra, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're such a joy. Um, I love having you in my life. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Kendra is on the glowing goddess getaway discord, uh, part of the community there too. And, uh, one of the awesome folks you can hang out with through that. Um, can we cap this episode off by showing off Lily and biscuit Reynolds? Uh-oh. Kendra, did we lose you? Uh, I think so. I can hear you. Oh, there we go. Okay, sorry, my computer. <laughs> That's all right. It's so, it's very uh, technological. Okay, I'm glad the recording didn't go away. Somehow I exited the Zoom. I don't know what happened. Um, and now Biscuit Reynolds is gone. Um, Kendra, thanks for being on the podcast. <laughs> Awkward ending. Um, I'm going to put links to all of Kendra's stuff down in the show notes. You can still, you can get a hold of Kendra. Follow, follow, follow. Patreon join. Get those stickers. Get the fun ideas.